0: Sweet. Good to go. Oh, yeah. Well, something was was working with it, so we're good. Well, tonight we are on lesson number two. Um, I think I've got all this printed out, but I'm going to save these until the very end. I'm going to hand all these out at once. So if you want to take notes, that's great. Um, Last week we got into the main idea of last week. The main point was just having God's perspective when we pray. Um, because we're powerful, and with great power comes great responsibility. So tonight, the topic is offensive and unstoppable. And um, I want to read Isaiah 56, verse 7, um, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 and 15, Ezekiel 22, verse 30, and Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So we'll start with Isaiah 56, verse 7. These are just our main idea main scriptures for this class on how to be a happy intercessor so Isaiah 56 verse 7 says I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer so again his house of prayer is going to be known for joy which is what we're talking about it says their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar and my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations all nations (laughs) Second Chronicles 7, verse 14 and 15 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It says, And my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers that are offered in this place. And so there's another reason for us to pray. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 says, I looked for a man or a woman among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. And he sadly says, but I didn't find anyone. So our job as intercessors is to stand in the gap. Um, Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13, this is the Lord's Prayer. I'd encourage everyone to memorize this. Um, Pretty cool thing, when I was in high school, um, my coach was, uh, he was a Christian guy, but he wasn't like this overtly, you know, cram it down people's throat kind of guy, but he before every game, um, I always prayed uh, all by myself, and there came a point where he came to me and he says, hey, would you lead our team before every prayer in the Lord's Prayer? I was like, I would love to. So from then on, the rest of my career in baseball, through you know, all, almost through my whole high school career, we got to say the Lord's Prayer as a baseball team before every game. And he um, says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So in the next few weeks, we're going to really get into that prayer. Um, but tonight, I guess I want to, in, in, uh, for introduction, I want to jump into this. And it ties what we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, or um, we really got into the mindset of what the Father thinks about people, what he thinks about um, creation, man, believers, unbelievers. And um, I want to say this tonight. Um, Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. Um, he says of himself in John chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, he says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I don't. He basically says, "I don't do anything on my own. Everything I do, I do what the Father does, and I say what the Father says." Um, he says, "You have not seen my Father yet." He's talking to the the people. He's like, "You haven't seen my Father yet." He goes, "But now that you've seen me, you have seen the Father because I am a perfect mirror image of who He is." So, with that being said, we're in the in the in the in the the mindset of prayer. If we didn't see it in Jesus then we shouldn't pray it. Like Jesus, I love how how I've heard this a lot in my life. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. If you look at Jesus' life and the way he was, it's it's a perfect picture of how God is. Theology literally means the study of God. And so if you want to know who God is, look at who Jesus is. Look at how he lived, how he acted. And so I have a few questions here that I want to ask. That, that will help shape our image of the Father. This is important because this will directly influence how we pray. If I think the Father wants to judge and hurt, or wants people to be punished, or if I think the Father can do stuff but he doesn't really want to, then it will affect how I pray. It will dampen my faith. It will shake me. Um, so here's a couple of questions. Did Jesus ever say no when a person asked to be healed? Not even one one time. If someone came to Jesus and said, hey, would you please heal me? Or they would come to him and tug on him and say, hey, I want something from you. And he would say, what do you want from me? And they're crippled. And it would have been clearly obvious, duh, I'm crippled. I want to be healed. He would say, what do you want from me? And every time they would say, I want to walk. And Jesus would say, as your faith is, so be it. And even when there were times... Let me ask you this, did Jesus ever heal anyone who didn't even have great faith? There was a man that says, hey, God, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. So I do believe, but it's not great faith. I mean, there's a little faith in there, but there's a lot of doubt mixed with it. So I I really believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus healed and did what the person asked for anyway. So sometimes in, in the concept of prayer, we're praying for people that don't really believe. How many have ever been praying for someone, maybe it was yourself or a family member or someone at the grocery store, and you ask them, do you believe that Jesus can change the situation? And they were kind of like, kind of, not really. Did you know that Jesus can, can do for them what they need done for them, even if they don't really believe it? That's the Father. Did Jesus ever heal someone while he was on his way to do something else? <laughs> He's like, I'm on my way to this place, and everyone's pushing against me, and some woman decides to grab. There's a man named Danny Silk. He goes, someone reached out and grabbed me by the power. (laughs) I'm on my way somewhere else, and someone reached up and grabbed my power. And and he felt the power leave his body. He was on his way to do something else. Did Jesus ever decide to go to a different place than where he was going to go because he knew someone there needed him? Remember the woman in Samaria at the well? He's like, oh wait, I'm supposed to be going here, but I have to go to Samaria. So these, so Jesus, he healed everyone who asked to be healed. The scripture even says that he healed every one of them that was sick. That it says the town people brought the townspeople brought people to Jesus that were sick and in their beds and that were that were dying, and Jesus healed them all. So if Jesus is a perfect representation of God our Father then when we pray, we have to pray as if God wants to heal every person. We have to think that, you know what, God may be in the middle of doing something else right now, but he wants to let people grab him by the power and be shifted and be changed. And God's even the kind of person that, that even he's doing this other thing, that if he hears one little person crying over in this, this, he'll stop what he's doing and reach after that one. And so if Jesus didn't do it, or if Jesus did do it, then it's exactly how the father would have acted did jesus ever heal someone that he wasn't that he didn't even really come to heal did jesus ever heal someone that he really wasn't there to heal them Let's see, what's what's there's a glaring example at the Pool of Bethesda. Then another one that jumps out to me is the Syrophoenician woman who came to him and said, hey, um, would you please heal my, I think it was her servant. And he goes, woman, I didn't come for you. I came for, for the Jewish people and you're a Samaritan. And what does she say? Hey, even the dogs, it comes from the master." And Jesus goes, man, I haven't found faith like that woman has anywhere. So Jesus could have really offended this woman he didn't come for her. He came for the Jewish people. That's what he was saying. I didn't even come here for you. I'm not even supposed to be ministering to you yet. There's people coming after me that are going to minister to the Gentiles. I was brought to the Jewish people. And he, he said that to her. And she was like, I don't care. At least give me a crumb. Give me something. And he says, everywhere the gospel is told, i to tell about this woman's faith. I haven't found anyone like her. So, so if Jesus is that way, then the Father will be that way. So I asked, I asked that because does Jesus want to touch people like Bin Laden and people that are just purely evil people in our terms, all right? Did Jesus ever withhold compassion from anybody? He never withheld compassion. Like I always told our young people uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was like, dude, God is so full of compassion that even if he was mad, he could try to wrap up his compassion and keep it from us, and he could wrap himself so tight that it would still ooze from his fingertips, and it would seep out of him because he's a God of compassion. So he couldn't even hold it. Did Jesus heal on the Sabbath day? <laughs> yeah. Did Jesus heal believers and unbelievers? We think that someone has to be saved for, for them to be touched, for their life to be transformed. Did Jesus ever cause a storm or speak favorably about a storm that was present? This, this is, I got into this a lot last week. Did Jesus ever say, oh, I'm going to cause a storm to rise up in this area because I'm going to teach people to trust my father? Or if the, the people found themselves in the middle of a storm, did Jesus ever go, oh, it's okay, this is from my father? He wants you to be scared right now. Every time there was a storm, either Jesus came walking on the waves in the middle of the storm and said, oh, peace be still, or he woke up from a sleep in the middle of it and came out and said, peace be still. He always calmed the storm. Or on another occasion, their boat went from one place to another and got out of trouble. I mean, he didn't bless storms. So if Jesus was that way, then God's gotta be the same way, right? Did Jesus ever tell a person Um, Oh, you're getting what you deserve. You have leprosy because your parents had leprosy. Or remember one time the people came and said, hey, Jesus, this person's blind or they're deaf or they're they're, they're mute or whatever it was they had going on. Hey, did they sin or did their parents sin? And Jesus didn't even give them the time of day. He's like, no, that's not why they're sick. They're sick so that I could do what I'm about to do and so God could receive glory. And so he brought healing the person so jesus didn't even ever tell a person oh you're getting what you deserve woman caught in the act of adultery they throw her down oh come on guys stoner that's hey that's what the father said that's what the law says do it he never acted that way so if jesus wasn't that way then how could we think that god would be mean and be evil and think the things we do do about uh do about god did jesus ever pass up an opportunity to show god's love to people he always looked for a way. He always looked for a way to say, "No, my father thinks this about you. Oh, my father says this about you. Oh, you're beautiful. You're, you're, you're. You know all this stuff that he would say about people." And so that's just an introduction to tie last week into this week. If we didn't see it in Jesus, then we're not going to find that in the Father, and that means that should affect how we pray. We should pray from a different mindset, from a from a non-judgmental, angry, frustrated. Um, whatever it is kind of mindset. We need to come from a different point of view. See, this is a partnership. Prayer is a partnership. You know, I think I hit on this last week or a couple weeks ago. Even Terrence and I were talking a little bit before. Like, prayer isn't me just coming to God and just throwing up and then leaving. It's a partnership. It's a give and take kind of thing. Um, Partners know the business. You know, if if Terrence and I went into business and we were 50-50 partners, I wouldn't hide parts of the business from him, and he wouldn't hide parts of the business from me. We're partners. You know, if my job was to do marketing and to keep the books, and his job was, he knows installation and he does the installation, he he wouldn't keep stuff on the side from me, and I wouldn't hide the books from him or, 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 you know, market in a way that makes him look bad. No, we share. We're in a partnership. It's the same way in prayer. Um, One's not in the dark concerning the partnership. Both people knows what's going on. And that's the same way with us. Prayer is a partnership. It's all of me filled with all of him. It's not none of me and all of God. You know, Bill says this. He says, he had none of you before and he didn't like it. (laughs) That's why he sent Jesus. He had zero of you before. He wants all of us with all of him in a complete partnership. Everybody good so far? So with that said, I want to jump into the, the main idea of tonight. We are offensive and unstoppable, all right? This is going to change how we pray, hopefully. <clears throat> we are living from victory. We're not trying to earn victory. Jesus at the cross won. The he, he wrote in blood how this whole story is going to end up. Jesus stamped it, completed the job, said it is finished, which means this is going to turn out the way my Father wants it to turn out, and he wrote in his blood, his story, history, the way it's going to be. He determined it already. He, he won the victory for all of mankind at the cross. So we're not fighting against the devil to take victory away from him. We have victory in Christ. Christ has all victory. The enemy has zero. The only way that he can have anything is if we surrender it to him. So with that being said, we were meant to be offensive, not defensive only. All right? See, Satan does not know the plans of God because he's not in anymore with God. He doesn't have the right to just appear before God and know the plans that he's doing. He doesn't just have the right to know and have access to the revelation of God. He has been banished from that ability. He has zero knowledge into what the Father is doing at this present moment. Everybody believe that? He's not even creative. He can't make something. He can only pervert, distort, or steal something. He can't form something and fashion it. So he, can, he can't even live on the offensive unless we give him the ball. So that's the only way he can operate is if we give it to him. So that means if we keep the ball, he is always living in reaction and in defense to what we choose to do as the church. Tonight I want to infuse faith in us and, and um we are not only to pray from a defensive posture any longer. We're to pray from an offensive posture. See, Satan doesn't have any power, so he tries to steal it from us. Darkness or the kingdom of hell can only take territory, can only take territory, excuse me, when the church hands it to them. It's a kingdom of hyenas, jackals and buzzards. They steal from other things. Why does an offense always have the advantage? Because they have the ball. They know the play. They, the, their, call, their play calls dictate the rhythm of the game. We have the ball, guys. We're not trying to get the ball from the devil. Like, he doesn't have the ball of, what, of, of, of the experience of what people are going to encounter on the earth in his hands, and it's up to him to decide. Jesus already won that, and he took the keys and took the ball back, and then he says, here, you guys now have the ball. You're on the offensive. So don't, don't pray and live from a defensive standpoint any longer. Don't pretend like you don't know what's going on anymore. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 through 10 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's the old covenant. We're in a new covenant. He goes, but God. So before you didn't see and you didn't hear and you didn't know. Now... Because of what Jesus did at the cross, God has revealed all of those things. Now we see, now we hear, now we know. Because the spirit of God, the spirit of revelation lives inside of us. And now that spirit searches even the deep mysteries and secrets of God, right? So we can't say, God, I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what your will is for this situation. We have the ball. We are on offense. We are calling the plays, the defense has to react to what we dictate, what we proclaim. We are not a re, only a reactatory posture. We are in offense, right? First Corinthians 2 verse 16 says, Who's known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? So before we didn't know what God was thinking. We didn't know what he was wanting to do. But he says, but now we have the mind of Christ. In other words, what Jesus knows, you know. And Jesus knew what the Father knew. So we know directly what the Father knows, which means we know what play to call. And the enemy has to react to what we determine, not the other way around. Right now, it, it feels like the earth is, is growing more evil, which the Bible does say it will happen. That's, that's, just gonna, that's the condition that the world's going to be in. That's what we live in. People are going to become evil. But it also says the church is going to become powerful powerful. Beautiful and glorious. So there's going to be the tension of evil and glory. But the Bible doesn't say that the whole earth is going to be filled with the evil of the enemy. It does say that the whole earth will be filled with the glory and the knowledge of the Holy One. Right? So if that's true, then I have to take a different posture and I have to take an offensive approach. See, defense mostly reacts to what the offense is doing. And a lot of us, you know, an evil thing happens here at school. An evil thing happens at work. An evil thing happens at home. And we react by our prayers saying, oh God, this evil thing just happened. Now we need to to combat that evil thing. That's not a bad way to, I mean, sometimes, and and we'll get into that in a second, there are going to be times where we're supposed to pray defensively because we didn't see what was coming. But that shouldn't be the normal prayer life that we have. I would, if we could... Figured it out, if we could pie graph all of our prayer lives, I would bet the majority, probably in the 90% area, would be defensive posture prayers rather than offensive prayers. Like, I see it like this. I'm a father. I think if my kids are really young, I have a great opportunity now to pour all the right things into them so that when they grow up, they make the right decisions. So I don't pray into them now defensively. Like, oh my gosh, Josiah just did a horrible thing because I can pray into offensively into his life. Same with with anyone that has children. God, I don't want to pray reaction prayers over my kids. I want to pray offensively that they will know you, that they will serve you, that they will follow you, that their heart would long for you. I'm praying that over my kids now so that when they as they grow and when they grow older and they can make some of their own decisions and they're independent a little bit more, that they'll remember what dad and mom taught them and that the prayers that I prayed will go before God as a memorial. And God will remember the things I said. And he'll watch over my kids. And, in, and I don't want to have a, a day where Josiah is a teenager. And, and he decides he's going to sow wild oats. I don't want that to happen. I want to pray into him now. Offensively. So that I don't have to pray defensively on that day. Does that make sense? Um, we cannot make defensive prayer the only type, type of prayer we use. We have to be. Offensive-minded, and we can't be offensive-minded if we're a day late on everything or if we didn't see things coming. If I don't see what ha- what's happening in the future, if I don't have this, this view into eternal things, into tomorrow, if I can't position myself to see that, I will always live in reaction to what happens to today, what happens today. But Jesus so- told us not to live in the temporary said don't look at the temporary things they're temporary don't look at the things you see right now but look into the eternal look into the future by faith and then see what's there and call it into existence into the here and now that's offensive prayer defensive prayers oh my god this horrible thing just happened help us god and that's okay that's okay to pray that i mean there are times help is the perfect prayer god i don't know what to do i didn't see this coming what do we do now right But the the majority of our prayer life should be, God, I looked into tomorrow because I spent time with you, and I see what you want. I see your vision, your purpose for my life, my son's life, my business's life, whatever, and I call that into existence offensively. The enemy has to react to what I do with the ball, not the other way around. See, Amos 3 verse 7 says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So God doesn't even do anything on the earth without revealing his secrets to us, right? So the key for us to being offensive-minded as as prayer warriors is to, to be intimate with the one who knows the end from the beginning. See, Jesus was never caught off guard when stuff would happen. Like, he never encountered a circumstance that he wasn't already prepared for. Because he had spent time away with the Father, he had... He had offensively spoke into the future what God's perfect will and plan was so that whenever today lined up with its specific time, he had already been to the future and he already had the solution because he called the play the day before, the week before, the month before. It's just a different way of seeing things and viewing things. As I said, sometimes and for various different reasons, we end up on defense, right? I mean, something blindsides us. We didn't see it. It it could be for all kinds of reasons. Maybe God purposely didn't show us something. Maybe we didn't spend the time with him intimately as we should have, so we didn't see it. I don't, I don't know, but there are often reasons that we find ourselves on defense. But I don't want us to be defensive-minded ever. I want to be the defensive-minded person who's blitzing the quarterback and causing havoc, Right? I want to have a different kind of mindset where I'm forcing the action even though I didn't know what was going to happen here, right? The way I see that is we know where the play is going and where the ball is headed. So I may have just ended up on defense. Man, I did not see this coming. God, I, I, I didn't see it for whatever reason. I did not know this was coming. I didn't know how to pray into this thing, right? Okay, but I know who you are and I know what your will is. And I know what your plan is. And so even though I don't know specifically right now how to pray offensively, I'm still going to pray offensively because I know you. And this is how you are. And until this thing begins to manifest an answer in my prayer time, I'm going to pray according to who you are until it shifts and changes this thing. See, we know the flow of the game. We know the maker of the game. And we know his desired outcome. So what we need to do when we find ourselves on defense, we need to say, you know what? Father, I I want to access your heart so that I can implement what you want to happen right now. If we don't see a thing coming, that doesn't mean that we don't know what God's will is for the future or for the situation. Like we may find ourselves, whoa, I didn't see that coming. What do I do? We still know because we know him. The connection is to him. We know his heart. We know his plan. And in that moment, we just adjust our prayer. Sometimes we pray for a specific result. There's a sickness in their body. God, we want to see that thing healed, right? Sometimes we pray according to God's nature. God, I don't see a solution or know a solution to this specific thing that's going on. But what I do know is how you are. And I want to pray that your nature manifests itself in this situation. We may not know exactly how this thing is going to happen or how it's going to go down or how it's going to turn around, but we do know him and our faith is in him. And to me, this is a turnover creating defense. This is where, you know, I didn't see this coming, but I still, I'm taking the ball. I'm taking the ball and I'm running with it. I really want to see us as a church begin to cause things to happen. I want us to begin to pray things into reality. I want our words to begin to contain, uh, to, to, um, I want our words to begin to have on them the creative ability of heaven. I don't want us to only pray out of reaction. I mean, there's times for that. Someone's sick, we're definitely praying. That's kind of a, a defensive prayer. We want to bring healing to this thing. But I also want to speak over regions and say, God, I want this to be a region that's homosexual free. Or I want, to be this, I want this to be a region where there's no child abuse. That's an offensive prayer. It's, let's set an atmosphere that, that calls the play for the area. I'm calling this play, God. You said that you want this to happen, so I'm calling this play over Arlington, over my neighborhood. And that's what I expect. And I want us to begin to move into that, that kind of realm of, of praying. Um, and the key to this is discernment. Discernment means to see or perceive, to be able to judge between the holy and the common. It means to be able to resolve a matter in the midst of options. And it's also moral perception. Philippians uh, 1 verse 9 and 10 says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until Jesus comes. He wants our discernment to, to stir up and grow. Discernment is knowing what weapon to use and when to use it. I, I, I feel completely compelled in this, in this topic as a church. An intercession, pulling the new backdrop into existence, but also being offensive. It's time for us to be unstoppable and offensive-minded. The days of of reactive prayers dominating our prayer life are over. I think it's time for it to shift to where we're more offensive. And that can't happen if we don't know know him. If I don't really know him, I can't pray offensive prayers. That's why we've talked about the presence and knowing him, being with him so much lately. It's time for us to begin to pray from heaven to earth. Not from earth to heaven. See, from earth to heaven is a defensive posture. But from heaven to earth is God saying, This is what I I know the end from the beginning. This is what I saw there. And now make it reality on the earth. God wants us to begin to be that kind of, of a of a prayer partner with Him. From earth to heaven is defensive, and it's often from a wounded person or a victim or something bad has happened, and that's that's all fine. It's necessary. But it's not to be our dominant position in prayer. We are to pray as conquerors. Like We have the keys to the kingdom. He gave us the keys to this planet. He gave us, you know, I said this last week. Here's, here's what God's will is, what he desires to happen. Here's what we're encountering on earth. Wars, rumors of war, famine, nakedness, disease, pestilence, hunger. All these things are what we see now. And he's saying, what are you going to do with what's between? The space between is determined by the, the sons and daughters of God standing up on the earth and saying, this isn't acceptable in heaven, it's not acceptable on earth. So what we do is now we call the things of heaven into reality until this begins to match up, where heaven and earth begin to mix, where heaven begins to manifest itself as a superior realm over this planet. And it's a big deal, and... You know, there's a couple of things in the next couple of weeks we're going to jump into that, that are, we're going to talk about the three realms, the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. We're going to talk about um, the key to not, um, not tackling something in intercession or prayer that God didn't, didn't author, because if God didn't call me to pray for a specific thing and I just decide I'm going to go attack this mountain and I don't have his blessing behind it or his strength inside of me for this specific thing right now, that thing could hurt me, could harm me. And we'll get into all this kind of stuff, but I really want us to think God's good. He really is faithful. He really loves people. And on top of that, he, he gave me as a believer the ability to see the eternal so that I can bring it into existence in the here and now, even for people that don't believe it yet, even for people that that don't even love Jesus or believe in him, even for people that, that are this or that, God even wants to do it for them. And this is a big deal for us to think right, um, because when we pray, I, I said this last week, and you've heard it many times before, but when we say what the Father is saying, all of heaven backs up what we say, and they make sure that it becomes reality it's a big deal and I don't want to just be defensive you know it's it's the same thing with our any relationship with marriage if we're always just being defensive we're not adding value to our marriage but if we're offensive and we plan date nights and and you know we've got to do more of that and if we plan s- private time to talk and and to be with one another if we plan those things then we're offensive minded in our marriage right instead of Oh God, I don't feel close anymore, and our marriage is crumbling, and we're at each other's throat. We need a date night, <laughs> which is generally how we do. You know, we don't do the the offensive and and the the things we should do until there's like friction and chaos. What would happen if we did it ahead of time? We would keep some of those things from happening. And I use marriage because man, it's 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 so true. But it's the same thing in our prayer life. What if I begin to pray from an offensive mindset? then maybe i wouldn't find myself in such defensive postures you know any comments or questions or anything we'll close things out